eagle flies high, way up in the sky. It sees above the human eye, a different perspective, a broader directive. In doing so, it becomes more effective. Welcome to The Legal Eagle, a podcast where I examine aspects of the law that I'm passionate about. I'm your host, Sarah Mae Thomas, and my aim is to have conversations that will empower both professionals and the everyday person on the street. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Legal Eagle. In today's divorce series, as you know, I've been doing different series on divorce. I've been doing international perspectives, uh, hearing from people from all around the world. And I've also been doing the Bold and the Beautiful series as part of my divorce series. And that's when I uh, interview real life people who have been through a divorce or witnessed divorce or just experienced a legal battle. And brother and sister team Aaron, Aaron and Delia Ng will be coming on the show today. Now, brother and sister team Aaron and Delia started out as volunteer trainers and mentors to disadvantaged children and youth. Now, Aaron heads the corporate communication team at Focus on the Family Singapore, and Delia is the head of Fam Chance. Now, both organizations are dedicated to promoting positive family values and helping families to thrive through their trusted programs and resources. So welcome to the podcast, Aaron and Delia. Hi, Sarah Mee. Thanks for having us. Hi, Sarami. This is Aaron here. Oh, great. So, Aaron and Delia, how have you been during this COVID-19 period? Well, I'd say that uh, the earlier months was much challenging because we really needed to adapt to a new way of living and adjustments with my young family and also at work. Um, but I'll say things are getting a bit more momentum now and we're a bit more familiar with how to navigate you know, life in close quarters and also a change in work arrangements. Mm. How about you, Aaron? Yeah, likewise for me, um, I'm an extrovert and I love to meet people. So the first few months with the circuit breaker was really tough. But I guess over the few months uh, I've adapted, I've gotten used to working from home. i got sort of a rhythm of sorts as well. In fact, I'm enjoying the time that I have uh, with the structure that we can set in place, working my team online and just engaging people um, all over the Singapore. They are using digital means. Yeah, so that's been helpful. Wow, so incredible. So maybe Aaron and Delia, maybe Delia, you can start first. Could you tell listeners a little bit about the work that you do at uh, FamChamps? Sure. So FamChamps is a community youth movement that we started out with a commitment to encourage youths to believe in the value of family and to equip them to, strong, to build strong families for themselves that will eventually form the bedrock of a resilient society in Singapore. So what we do is actually to journey with them through mentoring uh, relationships and also ongoing trainings, workshops and dialogues to keep conversations open about how family life looks like in a very authentic manner. Wow. And how do you reach out to these individuals? When we first started out, it was really mostly through schools and community partners. Um, but currently, we are encouraged to know that some youths come to know about us through word of mouth. And they would also sign up and participate in our activities um, out of their own uh, interest. Wow, that's incredible. And what are some of the activities you do with the youth? I'd imagine there'd be like leadership development, personal development kind of workshops that they do. Yes, yeah, you got it right. Something like that. But at the same time, you know, we have a range of light touch, possibly like, you know, um, online campaigns and even talks or roadshows. And then for those who are a little bit more interested to go deeper, we invite them to participate in a camp. And from there on, there'll be like a deeper engagement through workshops and conversations. The mentors that are assigned to them, they are the ones who will journey with them through a, a extended period of time. So that's where we also envision a bit more of an authentic life sharing and also that they would apply their learning through service projects to the community and their school, uh, their schoolmates so that they would continue to spread the message as a family champion to their generation. Wow, that's, a, that's amazing. Family champion to their generation. And I like what you shared about authenticity because we live in such a fake and superficial world where there's so many layers of, yeah, lack of authenticity for want of a better word, but to share authentically and to empower themselves and also individuals. Sounds amazing what you're doing, Delia. 
And Thank maybe you. Aaron, maybe you can share with listeners what a little bit of, about the work that you do at Focus on the Family. So at Focus on the Family, we run programs and campaigns to promote family life. And we try to help empower individuals at every life stage, especially in the area of their relationships with their, their family members, their um, parents, with their children. And currently, I'm heading up the corporate comms team. And my team is working on our editorial content that we push out through social media. And since this year, we've been recording our own podcast show called The Parent Ad Podcast. Oh, and wow. we also record, yeah, and we record a monthly Facebook live show that has been getting lots of traction as well. With the corporate comms team, we work a lot on our editorial content. We also try to reach out a lot more in, in, through digital means. So that's where we have our social media platforms and we have our counseling department as well. Currently moving to do online counseling versus uh, previously just only at our center. Mm, yeah, it's so important, I think, in this COVID-19 period to do online counseling when people are locked down, not able to move as, as frequently as before. That's amazing, Erin and Delia. I mean, you probably were inspired to start these organizations because of your, your own family background. Perhaps you can share with listeners, you know, a little bit about your background growing up. I know that, I mean, I have you on the show because I know that both of you had parents and you witnessed your parents uh, being separated at a very young age. I know, Aaron, you were a little bit older. You were probably in primary school when it happened and Delia, you were much younger. So perhaps we could hear from both of you on, on what actually happened and how it impacted you as a young child and then on to adulthood. Yeah, so my parents divorced when I was 10 and okay. Delia was around uh, just a one-year-old uh, baby at that point in time. So when that happened for us, our world literally turned upside down uh, just overnight. The world that we knew and, and how we understood where we used to have both parents around, but now we only have our mom around. So what happened was our, our dad um, left the home and uh, we were left together with my younger brother and Delia. So three, of, three children with my mom. At that point in time, she wasn't working. So she had to go out to get a job, to earn a little bit more income, to support the family as well. And in that sense, it felt like we were not, like as children, we didn't have our, both parents or our caregivers around. So we pretty much took care of ourselves from primary school all the way through secondary school. And that was a transition that we had to get used to. And seeing that other families have intact families, but yet our family seemed different. And this is almost 30 years really. And 30 years ago, probably divorce as a topic wasn't really discussed much. Even probably in my school, I probably felt that I was the only one who was going through this. I didn't know anyone else who was probably going through this. So as a child's uh, perspective, we didn't really get a lot of answers. So even maybe Dylan can share a little bit more about what did this, does it mean to have those questions? And even as we are growing up, we still had those questions. Yeah. yeah. I was, as Erin mentioned, I was really still a baby. And I think growing up, my understanding of what family looked like was really just uh, my mom and my two older brothers. And it was only until when I went to school uh, and I saw other children, you know, living in the, the school compounds with both parents or, you know, with having their father picking them up, etc. Like, I wondered to myself, like, where is my dad? Yeah, and I think even when I was in primary school writing compositions about my family, I was always stumped because it felt as if, like, my family structure was so different from others. And at the same time, I realized that increasingly as I went on to secondary school, I had a real difficulty to trust um, figures of authority. I guess perhaps I felt like, you know, the people who were closest to me, people who were meant to defend and protect me, in a sense, disappointed and let me down. And I thought to myself, you know, if I can't trust my parents to protect me um, or to be there for me, I guess I need to defend myself. I need to be strong in order not to be taken advantage of or bullied by others. So that was one of the things that really impact my perception of others. Um, so the way I responded to my teachers, even in terms of um, responding to rules and boundaries, I always thought that those were there to, in a sense, stifle me. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I didn't see it as a way of protecting me. Another thing that I struggled with a lot was also a sense of abandonment because I felt like I wasn't lovable enough for people to stay on, to even care for me. And even though I was provided for, you know, in terms of my physical needs and I went through school, but I think emotionally, these were 
uh, unmet needs that I had to eventually grapple with when I hit my teenage years and uh, young adulthood. Realizing that I was unable to form deeper, meaningful relationships and have conversations with people without feeling like I would be so vulnerable and eventually be hurt once again. Yeah. Wow, that's so that that's such a you have such a deep insight into how it affected you as a child. But how would it have been like? I mean, you mentioned you were resisting authority figures and you retaliated. Was there a turning point in your life where you were like a teenager, or was it only when you were an adult where you realized that things needed to change, where you had to accept that these boundaries are good boundaries? Uh, that's an interesting question. I think one of the factors that helped me to grow up, even though I was rebellious, was teachers who were very patient with me and they saw something in me that they never gave up on. Yeah. So, I mean, I was a kid who <laughs> it was even in detention class at primary school mm. and I had to sit next to the principal for a good t- semester and she was the one coaching me. Oh, um, wow. Through my schoolwork, yeah. <laughs> what an amazing um, principal to have. To yeah, exactly. She gave actually that attention. took me yeah, under her wings and she gave me that guidance. Um, I had teachers also in secondary school. Whenever I dropped ball on projects or responsibilities, they wanted to nurture that part of me, right? But I said, you know, I, I don't care and I'm not interested. But they would just sit down with me and, and process it with me and always remind me that, that they wouldn't give up. Lah. So I think um, these were figures of authority or adult figures that showed me that, you know, they, they care. I also had family friends who would extend support to me um, and my mother whenever she had to work late nights or go for night school. They gave me a place to rest after school and provided me meals so that I would not be left unattended at home. So I think these were situations that helped me see that I can still learn to receive the care that people extend to me. Yeah. Yeah, and that and not everyone out there is have a bad intention. Yeah. And that gradually helped me to also recognize that, you know, whether it's guidelines, boundaries, that these were things that were there to safeguard my well being and that if I hear their intention versus the rule, um the yeah, then and the relationship that I have with them, that would that actually helped me to also gradually accept. Yeah. Them. Wow. I think it's so, I always share with people that, you know, teachers play such a pivotal role in the child's life, especially before they turn 12, because a child has no real, like, they don't have a voice. They have a voice inside their head, but they have, they don't know how to articulate their own perceptions of things. And they often think, even if there's something going on wrong in the outside world, they think it's, they, they look within and say, what's wrong with me? And then they, they have defensive and coping mechanisms, which is what you described, you know, rebelling against authority figures and, and being very defensive. So I always say teachers play such a critical part in schooling and in nurturing. And, and the fact that your teachers took that time and even your principal took the time to nurture you, that's, that's amazing. And how about for you, Aaron, was it like, what was it like? You were 10, so you would have been in primary four. Were you very angry with your parents? What was your reaction? Yeah, exactly. So at a point in time, I didn't really know how to react, but I think the natural response was anger. There was no one that helped me to process my emotions during that point in time. And I would be a very moody person. And before that, I was actually a very happy child growing up. I would look at all my my childhood photos and I'll have a very weird smile and I'll be smiling <laughs> at all my photos. Yeah. But ever since I hit, you know, 10 years old onwards, it became a scrawl, a very serious face. I, even, even joke books didn't work for me. Yeah, nothing would put a smile on me. And time, besides being angry with my parents, it felt very unfair, you know? It was like, why is this happening to me? Or why is this happening right now? Or like no one's explaining the whole process to me. And I think it also stemmed from fear, a fear of what uh, was going to be happening in my life, certainty, or what are the next steps ahead. And all these things seem so unclear. And, it, and with all this uncertainty, it made me even more frustrated uh, with, yeah. with everything that's happening. Yeah. I can just imagine. You mentioned about things at home, you know, be banging furniture, slamming the door. It seemed like puberty hit faster. And yeah. I would not be handing in my homework. And this didn't happen before. And my school teachers would have to chase after me to complete my work. 
it seemed like I had no motivation for life or for the things in school. So my teachers from secondary school were extremely patient with me. They later found out that I came from a family uh, that went through divorce. And my teacher introduced me to a peer counseling session in school. And that's where I began to find, find that there were other uh, schoolmates who were in similar situations as me. And that I was not alone in this. At that point in time also, I think the role models that I had uh, were helpful. I was in a sports team. So my coach was like, in a sense, a bit like a surrogate dad to me and was giving me advice on how I should make decisions, what's right and what's wrong. And I think that was very helpful as a young boy growing up to have like a father figure in my life at, at the point in time. Wow. That's so, I, I think that's very critical for boys to have a, a strong male figure in their life, a father figure, and for girls to have a good role model as well. Because otherwise, if, you, if there's no one to look up to, they kind of just look to their peers and then sometimes they fall into bad company. But I actually have a question for you, Aaron. Do you think, is it your opinion that any child whose parents are going through divorce, their pa- the teacher should be aware straight away so they know how to deal with the child? Yeah, in fact, I think these days it's quite common for parents to inform school teachers that this is happening at home or even if there's no divorce yet, it could be just or there might be some disagreements. And I think the teacher should be informed, can support the child, uh, or at least pay attention to the to things that are happening in school. Because sometimes children will act up, they'll misbehave, yes. and we'll, we'll you know, pinpoint and say, oh, that's because it's the child's behavior, or that's because it's the, the child's you know, poor discipline. But sometimes when we look through the different layers, they realize actually it comes from issues at home. And yeah. if we can help resolve that, um, there'll be... I think it will make the, the school life more conducive also for the child. Mm. So Aaron, you shared about how you had this, was it your soccer teacher who was a good mentor towards you? Uh, no, it's actually my fencing coach. Your fencing coach? You did fencing? Wow. Yeah, I did fencing. <laughs> That's good. And did you feel that you changed as an individual after that? You had a different outlook towards life? Yeah, I think with my, my teammates, we form a really a close bond with each other and tensions and some of my struggles with, with them. They were a group of people that I trusted and I was able to relate with them. Yeah, so definitely that helped other people's perspectives as well. And they will also tell me, you know, that your mom uh, has a point of view. You might want to listen to her point of view. And I think it gave me a balance and a bit of a stability. And Delia, uh, what was the interaction with you and Aaron growing up? Were you... One team, you know, like we're on the same team together and that's us and the world. Or was there tension even because of the breakdown of the marriage for both of you? What was it like? What was your perspective like? Well, I'd say that my, both my brothers, Aaron and my second brother, were in a sense like my heroes when I was growing up. They were my playmates and they were always there for me, especially in my early years. But I think things took a turn when I was about five going on six. Back then, what I recall was both my brothers packing up their belongings and deciding to leave the house as well. And then from there onwards, we didn't stay in touch. There was no internet back then. The only way to stay in touch was by snail mail or landline phone calls. But yeah, we didn't get to stay in touch much. And I didn't see him until I was much older in secondary school. Oh, so both of you were separate. As in your two brothers, yeah. <laughs> maybe you can tell us yes. the story that so you we Aaron, you packed up your bags and you left it with your brother. <laughs> I was fifteen, and I was in secondary school. And during that time, while growing up, ever since the divorce, my mom, you know, probably because of the stress from taking care of the children or just you know all the frustrations that were mounting, she would be taking it out on us uh, in physical punishments. So she'll, she'll beat my brother and myself quite frequently. And, you know, as we grow older, we would then fight back because we are teenagers now. Yeah. And there was, it came to a point where if I did not put a stop to, to this, one way or another, it's either I will be badly hurt or my mom will be badly hurt. Oh. So, I, yeah. so I decided that we would pack our bags one day and we would go wherever, just... Just leave the home. Yeah, we didn't even know where to go. 
yeah, we didn't plan. It's not something like we could plan. There's no internet back then. Yeah, and you're um, 15. Like, what do you do at 15? 15. Like, where do you go? <laughs> where do you go to I, the park? Or to your friend's I, I, house, I guess. Yeah, so I, I packed my school books. Mm. I packed my school uniform. Uh, I still wanted to do well in school. I think the yeah. main motivation for us leaving was we wanted to still be, you know, doing well in school. So we packed our bags and we went to our grandparents' place. Yeah. Okay. And okay. When we went to our grandparents' place, we related the whole, you know, situation that's happening at home to them. And they were like, Oh, how come you didn't tell us about this? You know, it's the first time hearing this. And that's where they contacted my dad and and then after that we went on to live with my dad. Okay. So so Delia, you grew up for many years without your brothers around. That would have been quite difficult for you. I mean, to be like almost like an only child and then have to go through, you know, single parent household. So you're dealing with so many levels of, you're separated from your dad and then your brothers. Yeah, I mean, as you, perhaps you can share, like how, was there a period of reconciliation between you and Aaron and your, your brother? And how did that happen? Yeah, so, yeah, which is also what I alluded on about earlier, about feeling abandoned, because I think the first a round of abandonment was with my father and then later on with my brother. So it was just like a message that was further reinforced yeah. in me. So how, I mean, I believe it was really something that, what really touched my heart is that my brothers made an effort to reach out to me. I think they were still going through a process of figuring out how to reconcile with my mom. But I think possibly they knew that I was in a sense I, I I didn't do anything <laughs> wrong, right? So, yeah. like my like you know for Aaron when he first when he drew his first paycheck, he actually asked me out for an outing. That was when I was waiting to go into secondary school, and you know we secretly went out on an outing, and that was our first time meeting up after so after probably about six years. Wow. Yeah, and for my second brother as well, he would occasionally return home you know, to drop off some goodies and spend time with me. So that was how we, in a sense, maintained some form of relationship, but possibly still not as close as siblings who get a chance to live under the same roof and meet each other frequently because we were under the care of different parents and it wasn't an, it was quite an acrimonious relationship. So we didn't get a chance to see each other as well. Yeah. Over time, I think because for myself, when I was SEC 3, going to SEC 4, my second brother actually asked me to consider meeting up with my father. And I actually didn't really get a chance to know my father growing up, partly because I didn't have a relationship with him. So when it was arranged for us to have, you know, access, I actually rejected the idea and I didn't want to spend time with him. Not until I was 15 years old, where I told my brother, okay, I don't mind getting to know him. I think at that age, I was really, in a sense, hungry to find out who I am, like my, the formation of my identity. And I knew yeah. that no matter how I rejected the idea that I didn't like him, there's no denying that he's my father, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, and I met up with him and that was when I started to get to know him uh, more like a friend, like a person that I had to know from scratch. But interestingly, even though I didn't grow up with him, I, we somehow had shared the same interests. Wow. So, you know, we have the same hobbies, we like baking, we like going to nature walks, and that's how we started to create some memories together. But thereafter, my father actually uh, migrated overseas for a number of years with his family. Yeah, so there was also another gap of a good four or five years where we didn't get to spend as much time together. But I'm thankful that before he left, um, we had a chance to create those memories. Yeah, wow. And you know, Delia, I want to ask you because I often, I mean, I see a lot of family cases where the person has grown up in a family of dysfunction and there's been abandonment and extreme dysfunction and they go, they kind of grow up with that in their childhood and then adulthood and they bring it into their marriage and they bring in abandonment, they bring in all kinds of rejection and trauma into the marriage. How did you draw the line in the sand and say, not for me and my marriage. I want things to be different. How, how did that happen for you? Well, I think it really took a long journey of firstly having self-awareness about how all these, how my life story shapes my perspectives and my beliefs. 
to be honest, I grew up rejecting the idea of marriage. I actually was very skeptical of people. Yeah, like when I look at families, I would think to myself, they're hiding something. Yeah. You know, they just yeah. look good on the surface, but they're not good at all, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I rejected my family background, and but it took time for me to gradually accept that this is my story and this is who I am. Um, yeah. But at the same time, not allowing myself to be subject to what had happened in my parents' marriage because I know that that was the choices, the life um, that they have made for their lives. But I can choose how I would like to make form relationships and how I would like to um, build the relationship. So I think first and foremost, I had to take active steps towards extending forgiveness to both my parents. I literally had like a sit-down conversation with both of them individually and tell them, you know, these were things that happened and this is how it had hurt me. And I don't blame you for it, but I just want you to know that this is how it has impacted me. Yeah, and I think that being able to like articulate it to them and also letting them know that I want to release that forgiveness to them as well so that they don't feel that, that guilt of holding on to it, that actually brought about a, a new lease of life in our relationships between wow. my, my father and I, between my mom and I. Yeah, and that was how I feel like we, in a sense, experienced some form of reconciliation. But I also have to say that it doesn't mean that things, you know, become good and rosy all like, you know, just all of a sudden. It does take very intentional effort, even up to now as an adult, to continuously say that, you know, that is of the past and we can still forge better relationships now. Maybe we didn't know any better back then, but we can do better now. Yeah, so how do I... So I think that was that basis before I even considered the possibility of marriage. Mm. I think I did um, form certain like unhealthy romantic relationships in the past where there was a lot more of like codependence and unhealthy attachments. But it was only when I was able to reconcile my own insecurities and fears. I think one of the things that I was always afraid of is having someone decide to pack up and go when things get rough. Yeah. yeah, and that was when I was questioning, you know, actually what's the meaning of marriage? Because if there's, if people just, you know, decide that it's, no, this is not for me, then where's that commitment and that lifetime promise uh, to each other? For me, I'm a believer. And as a Christian, I believe it's really, there is beauty and value in marriage. I came to uh, discover this also through the modeling of other couples who persevered through difficulties in their lives. And they still emerge strong and they go through these seasons of their lives still saying that, you know, I am committed to my spouse for better or for worse. And I saw that through the lives of different couples and I thought to myself, you know, there must be a better way to marriage. And, and that, those were my inspiration. Wow. Yeah, and when I met my husband back then, I actually told him up front, I think marriage preparation is very important before we even decide to commit to marriage, we need to talk through some potential pitfalls that we may have. I know my own insecurities and, the, and, we, and you need to know this part about me. And I also need to know about you and whatever you're bringing from your own family or origin into our new family. Yeah, so we had to have all these difficult conversations before we said to ourselves, yes, I'm prepared to make this commitment. Mm, wow. Adelia, it sounds like you were actually exposed to very positive role models in the lead up to, you know, before you got married. And I think, unfortunately, some people are not exposed to that. You know, they don't have strong role models. So I think it's so critical, as we said before, to have those strong role models and to go through a process of reconciliation, but also dealing with forgiveness. I think a lot of, I mean, I see a lot of family, a lot of divorces and separation because people don't fully understand the concept of forgiveness. They say, I forgive you, but then in their heart, they're still hold, holding the grudge. And then it's kind of, it will manifest in one way or the next. But releasing, you know, them into forgiveness and also knowing that everyone comes from a different family of origin. And to know, as you said, the, the insecurities that you have and to kind of sort it out through before they go through marriage. So I, I actually say that every couple getting married should go through premarital counseling. It's so critical to make sure that there's, you know, conversations and dialogue being had about very critical things. Mm. And how, I mean, were you, I mean, you went from a defensive 
primary school student to, you know, reconciliation with your parent, your dad, I think that would have been huge. In secondary school, you were saying, yeah, reconciliation. And is it because, how did you come to a situation where you were exposed to these adults who are good role models? Was it through church? Yeah, I would say, aside from those that I met in school, my teachers and coaches there, definitely would be the community that I was exposed to in my faith community. And they were people who not just said it with words, but they put it in actions. So, you know, the family friends who invited me to their homes and I get to see real life firsthand how family life is being done. I get to see siblings squabbling, but at the same time, caring for one another. I see couples, you know, having arguments here and there. And and I know sometimes there are also big issues that they have to discuss. But, you know, even though I was supposedly not like, I was like supposedly an outsider, but spending time with them helped me to see um, how they work through differences. Yeah, and I think that inspired me because, you know, to be honest, I was actually very lonely growing up in, in my household with just my mom and I, know I was always, often on my own. So being able to interact with these family friends certainly helped me in having a wider vision for what family life could look like and how I could form healthier relationships with others um, outside of my own home. Mm. How about you, Aaron? You packed up your bags and left at 15. So it sounds like you were very strong-willed. And I mean, to be, to be 15 and doing that, that's, that's very brave. But what was it like for you? You obviously would have been quite angry with your mom. Was there a period of reconciliation with your mom? And was that a breakthrough in, in your own journey? Perhaps you can share with listeners. Yeah, so over the years, I didn't really have much contact with my mom. Didn't call, didn't write just felt that I didn't really know. And somehow we were just getting more distant as the years went by. But then when I started working, and you know, Delia mentioned that I started work quite early. So when I started working and, and I began to understand about what forgiveness is, it seemed to be very strange to be saying, yeah, I forgive my parents, but I'm not acting on it. Or I'm not making any decision or choice on it. And at that point in time, I... You know, I didn't believe in marriage at first as well, but I met my wife and when I was dating her, I was actually very upfront with her. I said, this is part of my family and this is, this is my story. And she says, you know, I think before you can even get married, I think you need to sort things out with your, your mom first. Yeah. Mm. And I really seriously considered that, yeah, that's really, I wanted to do it. Uh, I did not drag any further. So uh, I called my, my mom one day and I said, can I arrange for dinner? And it's probably been more than 10 years since I last spoke to her. Oh my and, goodness. Yeah, and she agreed for dinner. And when I hung up that phone call, I was like, oh boy, what am I getting myself into? Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm, I'm actually revisiting my past all over again. And all yes. the things that has happened, yeah, you know, the trauma, the, yeah. the pain. And, but yeah, I said to myself, okay, I need to see this through. You know, I, I'm committed to this. So the day of the dinner came, I met up with her, you know, and we, we spoke, we, I asked her for forgiveness and you know, we extended uh, forgiveness to each other. I think something really beautiful happened since that day. We cordial, meaning like, you know, we can talk to each other. We can, you know, we meet up more often these days, more than your usual Chinese senior or Christmas. But we are at least in contact and in, you know, there's a relationship being built up once again yes. so since then till now yeah i think there's that change and that, that transformation that's been taking place for both of us i've seen my mom mellowed also in her character and in her in the way she she engages us and i think i also have become more patient towards her so i think yeah maybe age does something to you as well and or maybe just understanding that you know it's just nonsense just making you know, quarrels and, and, and fights when actually, yeah, you, that's all that you have, you know, the family that you have is, you don't, you don't get to choose your parents, right? Yeah. yeah and, and I think it's something that I'm more conscious about, yeah, that I don't get to choose them, so all the more I should honor them, I should, uh, even though with their flaws and everything, yeah, my, I'm no saint, uh, but yeah, but we try to extend grace to each other. Yeah. Wow. And you would have had to come through, like work through your own issues with marriage as well. As you said, you didn't believe in marriage. What was the turning point for you? Was, would you say, I mean, 
you obviously, you know, considering marriage when you spoke to your mom, but what changed for you? Was it the mentors around you that kind of exposed you to good marriages? Yeah, definitely the mentors around me, but also my own grandparents. Yeah, my grandparents are still around. My grandfather's 98. Oh, and wow. My grand- yeah, my grandma's 93. And they've been married for, I would guess, more than 70 years now. And I think just looking at them as a role model, that this is possible. Yeah. Yes. You, know, you're, you will have your down times. You will have your disagreements with each other. You will definitely be frustrated with, uh, with your spouse. But I guess, you know, if you're committed to make it work, then you will see through, yeah, even the challenges that you'll face. So I think that's something that sort of taught me over the years through the role models around me. And of course, attending a marriage preparation helped for myself. That's where I was also able to understand that, you know, there are certain gaps that I have, certain weaknesses that I need to work on. So of course, communication being one, I love to talk. My, my wife uh, is the quieter one. So to, to get her to start talking more, that was my challenge. And over the years now, she's the one who, is, who talks quite a bit as well. So <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that's been helpful. So helping along, you know, each other. Along I think also way, being, yeah. yeah, along the way, being intentional mm-hmm. as well. You know, you cannot stop dating after you get married. Yeah. You know, keep dating yeah, your spouse. And that's something I try to do you know, at least once a week or maybe, you know, once every two weeks that we'll mm-hmm. go out on a date. And because of circuit breaker and COVID, no, we are not able to go out, but I still try to do something with, with my wife. So oh, that's we, amazing. We, Have a date yeah, at we, home. We, yeah, we take part in like quiz nights online. We play board games, yeah, mm. play computer games together. So just being intentional. Yes. I think I like what you share about being intentional. I think being intentional about everything in life and, and marriage in particular. Do you have, I, I mean, you've already given some very good advice, but do you have advice for listeners who might be struggling in their marriage and just don't know what to do? How, how can they navigate you know, the situation, whether it's, there's been some, in some cases, there's adultery, but there's trauma, there's abuse, or there's just disappointment. Some people, in, in fact, most of the marriages that I see is because, you know, have broken down because they're just disappointed, or it's not, they're not living up to my expectations. What, what kind of some advice you can give to those people? I think when people get into marriages, they will not think of divorce, right? You know, when they get together and say, you know, we want to be married, I think they are dreaming of a possibility of how that family life would look like. Uh, but along the way, you know, there will be disappointments. There will be moments where your spouse is not meeting, in a sense, your own expectations. So I think the first step we have to take is to understand what's our expectations. Are we having a fairy tale idea of how our marriage should look like? Or, you know, in the, with all the stresses in life, this is the reality. This is how it really is and how we can work at it. So knowing yourself, that'll be very helpful, knowing your own expectations. And I think what's also important is not keeping your emotions just to yourself, but getting someone to help you to process them. Mm. So if you need to speak to somebody who is a professional counsellor or even another couple who has been along the way and can share some advice, that would be great, like a mentor of sorts, like an older couple that you can turn to and ask them, hey, you know, how do you resolve these kind of challenges or how do you resolve this issue? Being able to speak to someone like that would be very helpful. So besides knowing yourself, getting help, I think the third one will be knowing at the end of it, what do you really want for yourself? A lot of people say that they just want to be happy. But in reality, is it your personal happiness or is it a joint happiness that you want to have? Yeah, and I think maybe it's something that we need to discuss with each other being open to talk about what does being happy or, you know, what does our marriage life can look like. Maybe a, a shared purpose or a shared dream that would be good to have. Because sometimes, you know, if you pursue a career or you pursue your interests in one way and then your spouse goes another way, it seems like you are getting distant and it seems to be like you're drawn apart from each other. But if you have a common goal or you have a common purpose, then maybe that will bring both of you back aligned to something together again. Yeah, wow. So these are That's some good. of my points. Yeah. And how about you, Delia? What are you doing in your, like what steps are you taking in your own marriage to 
you know, just reinforce like what Aaron said, you know, the common goal and just to make sure that your marriage is a healthy one. Yeah, we've been married for six years and I think, and now with the addition of two young children, I, we are especially mindful that it's often easy to just let slip on letting the marriage take a back seat. So what it has been helpful for us is to, as you mentioned, the intentionality. Um, but beyond that, it's also about what we do together. So for us, communication is really key because we can be in the same space but not engage or connect. Yeah, and I think one thing that my husband and I are mindful of is being intentional to go deeper in our sharing. So we have frequent check-ins on how we are doing, not just in our personal, like not just in our family life, but also I would like I'll be curious to know what he's doing at work, the the projects that he's involved in, the colleagues that he has been working with. And and that helps me to also understand the context that he's in and wow. knowing and being able to relate to his struggles as well, because I understand that. You know, sometimes for him, if I'm not if I'm not actively trying to hear about it, he may not offer the info because he knows that I'm also you know loaded with a lot of concerns. But by asking and showing interest, lets him know that I I care for him and I'm also interested in this part of his life. We realize that you know if we are not careful, we will often talk about the children. But if we are more intentional to find out how one another is doing, we learn how to care. And also, I would be more mindful of how he's doing emotionally. Also, I mean, I, I'm thankful that there are some resources out there. Like, recently, I took this quiz called The Seasons of Marriage. I think it's by Focus on the Family. That quiz was really helpful for me because I, I discovered that, you know, from my husband and I, we are currently in a season of autumn. And that, what that looks like is really, we are quite, you know, cozy and chill with one another. But if we are too if you're not mindful, we might slip into a place of being too complacent and thinking that, you know, oh, my spouse will always be there for me. But if I don't attend to the relationship, we might actually, in a sense, experience some form of dystrophy or something because, you know, nothing will remain status quo, you know. You will either get stronger or weaker. Yeah, and I think that's what I believe in relationships, about relationships, that we need to actually work at it to make it stronger. Yeah, wow. and, I, and for us, we also have someone who, we have a marriage mentor who checks in with us every quarter and, and we are encouraged by her own family life because we get to interact with her, her and husband and her children and, and that helps us to also you know, see that beyond the current challenges that we face with raising young children, there is a next season that we can prepare for yeah, and not be too myopic about the, the present challenges that we may feel. Yeah. Wow, I think everyone should have a marriage mentor. Every marriage couple. It's so important to have a, I mean, my philosophy is always have a mentor in a season ahead of you and in a season before you. So you should mentor people who are a younger couple or even a couple that's dating. And then, you know, you're nurturing and then you're receiving as well. So that's really good, Delia and and Aaron, what you share. Mm -hmm. I really like, and I think the common theme in what both of you are doing in your respective marriages are uh, intentionality and not letting the past dictate your future. I think so many times, I mean, clients come to me and they say, oh, but you know, my parents were like this, so it should be like this for my own life. And I say, no, it doesn't have to be like this. You don't have to, you don't have to throw in the towel just because your parents did and you can choose another way. Mm -hmm. So that's really good that both of you shared on that. Maybe just Tell me a little bit about, you know, with COVID-19, a lot of us are working in a confined space in our homes with, with our, you know, all our kids around is home, home learning and families are just more stressed in general. What are your, both of your takes on this issue and how can families navigate through this new normal? Well, if I could share about some conversations I've had with the youth that I work with during the COVID-19 period, they were confiding in me that, you know, in the past whether it's her par- their parents or their siblings, they would busy themselves with activities outside of the home. And you know, home is mostly just a place to rest and just unwind. But now that everything is back in the house, they realize that they haven't had to interact with one another to such a high frequency and in such close proximity that it brings about more friction. And I think maybe some would relate to this situation where they realize that because of the extended periods of not connecting meaningfully, having to come face to face with possibly some of the issues that they've tried to sweep under the carpet or avoid, they actually have to face up to it now. Yeah. Yes. And so one of the things that 
my youth, one of the youth was asking me, you know, how, how should I respond? Because I know that this has been an issue ongoing, but nobody dared to talk about it. But actually, I feel that this is an opportune time to address it. Yeah. And I encouraged her because, you know, difficult people see such situations and feel like, oh, it's so difficult to confront and I would rather avoid it. But if we look beyond it, actually, if the intention is not so much to pinpoint a person's shortcoming, but to say that, hey, you know, I'm concerned about where we are right now. I'm concerned about how our family is speaking to one another, the, the tone that we are using, the choice of words we are using. Can we work towards something else? Or, you know, being the first person to try and respond differently, even though maybe not having the actual conversation yet, but responding differently would also change the outcome or the response from someone else. Yeah, and I think that's where we saw a, a slight shift. I would say it does take time. It takes a lot of effort to be a thermostat in a home environment. but I'm encouraged to hear that some of the young people are wanting to alleviate the, the stress and the burden their parents are facing, especially with the current financial situation and, and the outlook of our economy. Another thing that we observed was also how some young people are being more intentional to help out with the chores at home. And they realize that actually it, it, does, it is tiring, yeah, mm. but it does make a difference because once I help out, like, it makes everyone else feel much better. Okay. Yeah, so they realize so that they can be a contributor. So I feel that sometimes when we look at the situation, we would rather avoid it. But what, I, what we usually encourage one another to do is be that change agent. And we can actually look forward to something, yeah, more positive outcome. Who knows? Yes. Mm. And how about you, Aaron? What are some of the family issues that you've observed coming up from this pandemic? So, of course, the main one would be having everyone around at the same time and, you know, just having the boundaries being overstepped. So, like, for example, if I'm busy at work and then someone's expecting me to reply to them on the spot, like a child requiring help or support, maybe your spouse is asking for, for something. So, it seems that, you know, there is a lot of juggling that needs to be done at one time. So, I think it's perfectly fine for, for us to, to tell our family members that, you know what, I, I need a break. I, I need some time out and I think it's perfectly fine for, for us to, you know, go to a corner or to, you know, to say that I, I need my space for the guys, you know, to say that I need my, my man cave, you know, for a little while. Yeah, just give me a, a bit of time to decompress and to just de-stress. I think that's important because if we don't have that time to relax or the time to, to decompress, you know, we'll be overwhelmed and I yes. think that will be not very healthy in, in time to come. So be, knowing our boundaries and being able to ask permission to, to say, uh, give me some space to, to relax. Um, but I also see a, also a positive thing that families are coming together to do projects. And yes. projects to, to serve uh, their community, to serve migrant workers, and you know, just coming together to, to think of creative ideas on how to even to, to encourage their neighbours or to help out the different ones around them. I, I think that's something very wonderful. And you know, I think parents can show an example to their children by doing things like that. Yeah, so that, you know, it's not just schoolwork all the time. It's not me just telling you yes or no or what to do, but by leading uh, from example, by showing how you care for your neighbours or for the community, I think your children will learn that very quickly. I think this pandemic has turned the world on its axis. For, yes, there's been a lot of bad. I mean, so many people have lost their lives, but I think for all of us at home and the rest of us, it has brought about a fundamental new reality where we have to question and be more intentional because no longer are we able to run off to, you know, see our friends and go to parties and, and fill our lives with the aimless activities that we were filling it with before. We have to really come down to the bare basics and be face to face with your family. I have some of my friends telling me that they, in their entire life, They've never spent this much time with their mom and dad. And some of them are like 35, 40. And I mean, that's amazing that in 40 or 35 years, you haven't spent this much time in just like six months. So of course that has come with friction because it's like, oh, I didn't really know my mom and dad were like this. or I didn't really know my son was like this. But you're forced to kind of be face to face with each other. But of course, as you mentioned, have those param you know, boundaries where you go for a walk and you say, just leave me alone. I need my me time. 
me personally, it's been great as a family, you know, all locked down together. We were in Melbourne and then had to self-isolate there. And we had like mini family projects where we were doing things together and then fighting. And then, you know, you go through the cycles, but then you reach a point where there's a mutual understanding. I guess it's almost like marriage, right? Where you, you go through ups and downs and then you like, you come to a place where there's an understanding and a trust. Like, okay, I, I know Sarah needs a space now. Let's, let's, you know, give her some, some me time and some space. So I think it's all coming to a place where you're working out your issues, but together and being more intentional. So maybe Delia and Aaron, just to wrap up the show, are there any upcoming programs that you can recommend if, if some of our listeners are, you know, in their teenage years or even approaching adulthood, are there some programs that they can join at, at Family Focus or at, at Fam Champs? Well, for us, we have ongoing, we usually update our social media platforms on Facebook and Instagram, which is at FamChamps, F-A-M-C-H-A-M-P-S. So that's FamChamps. And that's where we actually have ongoing engagements uh, with the wider youth audience. And then from there, if there's anyone who's interested to go deeper in through trainings and workshops, you'll find out the information there. Okay, great. So for Focus and Family, we're running an web, online webinar called Effective Parenting in a Digital Age. You know, with all these challenges that parents are facing with children using technology, you know, we have allowed, in a sense, more time for children to use tech. But now, how do we sort of like navigate and how can we manage that for with them? So that's an online webinar happening on the 13th of September. And you can find out more details on our website, which is at family.org.sg. Okay, great. So I'll just put the, maybe the links in the show notes. And uh, both of you are running a podcast as well? We're just running a podcast for Parent Ed. It's called Parent Education. So that's Parent Ed for short. So that's for Focus and Family. Okay, wonderful. Fellow podcasters. (laughs) All right, Aaron and Delia, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for sharing about, you know, your life in your your early days and then how it's actually had a long-lasting impact in your adulthood, but in a a positive way. I'm so encouraged to hear how both of you are doing the work that you're doing in uh, Focus and Family as well as Fam Champs. I think it's so good that you've, you've taken something that was actually a negative situation and you're now using it positively to impact the lives of others. So thank you for joining us and have a lovely day. See you then. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Okay, bye.